Lessons in Outsourcing During the days of overextending myself and having little boundaries, I found myself working 14 to 16 hours a day. It was 2009, four years into running Killer Copy, and I was exhausted and fast getting over it. Most of my time was spent editing and quality assessment. Tedious work that took high levels of concentration and attention to detail. Two things that do not play to my strengths. Sure, I was making more money than I ever had, but at what cost? I could go and work for someone else and not have to worry about all the extra shit you have to worry about when you're running your own business, like where the next project is coming from, or the mounting paperwork, or the cash flow shit. Killer Copy had started as me behind the mic. I was the CEO, the salesperson, the accounts person, when I wasn't in total avoidance, the voiceover, the editor, the producer, customer service rep. When we first start out, that tends to be the case, a one-woman show. To be honest, I'd never really considered that I could hire someone to help. Hmm. It's not exactly true. I'd been smart enough to see opportunity knocking when the clients I'd worked so hard to secure started asking if I knew a male voice or a younger female. Sure, I could have handed over an intro, but I'd spent so long building and nurturing these relationships, I didn't want to recommend someone else and then have them let them down. Or waste all that hard work and not make a cent from all my hard work. I saw an opportunity to grow my business by bringing these other talent on board, paying them what I would be happy to work for if they ever wanted me to work in return, and pivot killer copy from a one-woman behind-the-mic type gig to a quasi-agency setup. This was great in one respect, as it allowed me to scale my business pretty rapidly, but it meant that I was completely drowning in the editing and post-production stuff. Hence, suddenly finding myself stuck behind a computer for 12, 14, 16 hours most days. A good chunk of that time was dedicated to that one client, you know, the one that eventually ran off with my $7,000, who was still my main source of income at the time. My nana Finn was diagnosed with terminal cancer on my 32nd birthday. It was such a fucking big blow to me. Nana was one of my most favourite humans on the face of the earth. She was inappropriate and said things that would make you cringe at times, a bit like I used to be. But her hugs were next level amazing. She died within four short months and it's fair to say I was completely devastated. I was on the next flight to Melbourne to be with my family and help organise the funeral in between my hectic work schedule. The client requests didn't stop, and the real catalyst for change for me was the day of her funeral. I sat in the spare room of my recently passed Nana, working away while my whole family were out in the backyard celebrating her life at the wake. I was so angry at myself. How did I let it get to this point, where I found myself valuing a $10 job over my Nana? Something had to change. I just wasn't sure what. One of my good mates from high school came to stay with us. She was a successful business coach and really my only other friend who was self-employed. She saw me working like a dog and asked why I was trying to do everything myself. Good question. Why was I trying to do everything myself? I guess because I had no idea it could be done any other way. She introduced me to Odesk, an online marketplace for freelancers around the globe. Wow, what a fucking incredible tool for someone like me. Though I did want to try to hire someone local first, if I could. So I wrote down Odesk on a post-it note and started the hunt for a local editor. 
I knew I had enough work to cover somewhere between 10 to 30 hours a week, only I couldn't guarantee that would be the case. I contacted some people I knew in the radio industry, placed a few ads around the place in industry publications and a website, had a few inquiries, although no one was willing to take on the work during work hours. They all wanted to keep their ship-paying radio job and work after hours. This wasn't going to work for me, so I returned to Odesk. I thought about the traits I'd like this person to have, and of course, the skills. I wrote up a little job description and placed the job live. The first person to respond was a guy from the Philippines called Neil. He'd been studying sound engineering at university and was new to Odesk. He'd never had a client before, so he had no rating, and he was totally upfront about that in his application. I had a good feeling about this guy, nothing tangible to base that on, just a gut feeling. Other applications flooded in, but I wanted to give this guy a shot. He sounded earnest, honest and eager to please. And if it didn't work out, I could always find someone else. I made him an offer and we got to work. I was definitely tentative, hopeful, but tentative. In the early days, he'd edit, send it to me, and then I'd go over everything he did with a fine-tooth comb. Honestly, I might as well have been editing it myself. The process was long, boring and excruciating. I just wanted to make sure it was error-free and up to my standard. And over time it was. In fact, this guy did a much better, more accurate job than I could. Sure, there was a teething period, but I liked the guy and he was pretty fucking good at what he did. Before hiring Neil, I'd honestly thought that no one would be able to do that job as good as I could. I'd had a very real fear that if I hired someone, I'd end up just having to do it all myself again. You know that old saying, if you want a job done properly, you might as well do it yourself. Yeah, I subscribed to that bullshit. Until I couldn't anymore. There were just so many hours in a day, and if I kept on going as I was, I'd soon be losing those higher-end clients I'd worked so hard to secure. In those early months, I pretty much micromanaged Neil. But the truth was, he was doing a way better job than I had been recently. I'd been doing an increasingly shit job. Mistakes had become more and more common, and I hated it. I had to let go of the control issues and give someone else a chance to prove they could handle it. A few months in, I started to trust Neil and his work. A year or so in, and I started to allow him to have communication with my clients. Three years in, and I took an entire week off to go on a retreat in Bali. Left Neil in charge, and he did a superb job. Five years in and having Neil on my team allowed me to take off four months maternity leave and these days Neil manages most of the projects. Nine years on and Neil is like a brother to me. That is my success story in outsourcing. One of many. Not so successful stories. He's not the only hire I've had over the years. I've had about 15 VAs, virtual assistants, since then, with varying degrees of success, but no one who could even come close to Neil. Oh, all except one who I love to bits. But due to some shitty circumstance for me, big-time cash flow issues and staffing problems, I couldn't afford her rate for the low-level kind of work she ended up having to take on. I remain hopeful that I'll find another Neil someday soon whether online or local. For the record, for those of you reading this, feeling massively triggered by my use of overseas talent, and I know you're out there, mostly I've used Australian-based VAs, and I've had really shit luck. I've hired people only to have them take on a business coach who told them to double their rates overnight. I've had assistants work really well for a few months and then decide to pivot their business and drop the VA work. I've had people go back to a day job, 
or take on a big client and not have room for my five to 10 hours a week or fall pregnant and need to stop. I've also had people who were really shit at what they did or were fabulous and unreliable. And all these people, local, well-paid local people. To those overseas labour haters, I have to say, get over it. The world is a big place. There's plenty of work for skilled people locally to make good money. The people who are only willing to pay $10 an hour are not your people. They just aren't, until they are. Until they're either starting to earn more, or they realise the person who's charging them $10 per hour is taking four times as long to do the work, or they'll be blissfully happy and have a fabulous working relationship like I do with Neil. There's room for everyone. Fuck scarcity. Focus on your insane skills and talents. Find a point of difference and sell that. And don't price yourself out of the market. This is when that whole charge what you're worth shit is bullshit. If you're amazing at what you do but you have no clients, you're either doing something wrong, like not promoting yourself or communicating what you do effectively, or maybe you're just delusional about what your services are actually worth to the clients you're chasing. The key things I've learned about outsourcing successfully over the years is to be realistic about your expectations. So many people think they'll find a VA, hand over everything they hate to that person, and live out their days playing in their zone of genius. There's a few issues with this approach. Firstly, it's unlikely that magical unicorn person is one person. A VA isn't your bookkeeper, marketing guru, Facebook ad specialist, sales funnel creator, salesperson, copywriter, graphic designer, WordPress developer, calendar manager, monkey slave, and that person is not $10 an hour. That person probably doesn't exist. If you want a bookkeeper, get a bookkeeper. But think about why you're wanting a bookkeeper, because if it's mostly due to avoidance of money-related issues, I urge you to think again, get your head around this stuff so that you can feel more empowered around the money side of your business. And if you want a monkey slave, be sure to stock up on bananas, ensure you have super tight systems to take them through every single step of the process. Secondly, mostly because from time to time I have witnessed a magical unicorn appear, but they come at a decent cost and with a high level of trust, there will be an onboarding process. Hiring a VA isn't a hand over everything with very little direction or instructions, sit back and watch as the money flows in while sipping cocktails by the pool. It's a process, one you absolutely need to be prepared and ready for. The hard work you put into setting these guys up and being involved in that process, the better off you'll be long term. Even if that particular VA does leave you, you'll have a foundation and structure to use for next time. Thirdly, one of my Carlosophy's guests, episode 122 with Tracy O'Meara-Smith, shared a beautiful tradition from her time training with an Indigenous healer. While on walkabout or out hunting, the Aboriginal people will leave markers where the water is for the next person to come along. I love this idea of leaving something to make it easier for others. In business, I translate that to document everything. As new processes are created, have them documented. Even just creating a video of you doing each repetitive task so you have a bank of procedures to make it easier for the next person. This really helps with the onboard process. Lastly, be forgiving. They will make mistakes just like you do. Don't be an asshole. If you're anything like me, part of the reason you want to work for yourself is because you've had a shitty boss, someone who didn't respect you, didn't give you any autonomy, made empty promises, rode you so hard you turned from magical unicorn to tired old draft horse, was elusive or secretive. One thing that erodes trust quickly is secrecy. 
Keep your expectations realistic. Any person you hire is only human. Treat them so. Whether it's a $10 Filipino VA or a $60 an hour local bookkeeper, treat them as a human being, not a slave. Think about the kind of culture you want to create in your business. Work from that vision and stay true to it. Give anyone who works with you the opportunity to shine. When they do, you'll shine.